Good to see all of you. Glad you're here. The Lord is glad you're here. Of course, it's a, an especially busy day. We have our back-to-school bash be going on this afternoon, and no doubt you saw the uh, various attractions and uh, activities that we have planned for this afternoon, and so uh, and a lot of good volunteers. I am grateful to God for all of our volunteers uh, who are willing to labor in the Lord uh, as we aim to display and demonstrate the love of God for others. If you want to grab your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we'll read verse 12. And also, uh, briefly, I'll give you the parallel passage in Luke 6 and verse 31 immediately after that. Matthew 7, verse 12, hear now the word of the true and living God. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets, Luke 6, verse 31, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Let us pray. Lord God, as we look at the golden rule this morning. We pray that by your Spirit you would help us to see clearly what this means for us and how we might apply it in our lives today. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. One of Grimm's fairy tales is of an old man. He lives with a son, his son's wife, and the young couple's four-year-old boy. The old man's eyes blinked and his hands shook. When he ate, the silverware clattered against the plate, and he often missed his mouth, and then the food would dribble onto the tablecloth. And this upset the young woman, the young mother, because she didn't want to have to deal with the extra mess and the hassle of taking care of the old man. But he had nowhere else to live. So the young parents decided to move him away from the table into a corner and he could sit on a stool and eat from a bowl. And so he did, always looking to the table, longing to be with his family, but having to sit alone in the corner. One day his hands trembled more than usual. He dropped the bowl and it broke. If you are a pig, the parents scolded, then you must eat out of a trough. And so they made the old man a wooden trough and put his meals in it. Not long after that, a couple came upon their four-year-old son and was playing with some scraps of wood. And his father asked him, son, what are you doing? And the little boy looked up and he smiled and he said, I'm I'm making a trough to feed you and Mama out of when I get big. <laughs> the next day, the old man was back at the table, eating with the family from a plate, and no one ever scolded him or mistreated him again. 
That's very different than most grim fairy tales, by the way. There's a reason they're called grim. But that one has a, a silver lining to it. What makes us act ugly toward one another? What is it that makes other people act ugly toward other people? We see the, the hatred, the bitterness, the vitriol. It's, it's everywhere these days. And I believe that it's rooted in a refusal to treat people in a kind way. That is, a refusal to treat people the way we want to be treated. That's, what's the, that's what the golden rule is. God expects us to treat others the way we want to be treated. And so what does the golden rule mean practically in our everyday life? That's what I want us to explore this morning. How it should show up in our lives. We've read the text. Matthew 7, verse 12, Luke 6, verse 31. We hear it, treat others the way you want to be treated. What's the context for each of these verses? Well, in Matthew chapter 7, Matthew 7 is part of a larger sermon that Jesus is preaching, which actually takes up chapters 5, 6, and 7. And the golden rule, as you notice here in verse 12, begins with the word, so, your translation may say, therefore. It's intended to communicate this is a summary statement, and it's emphasizing the righteousness that is needed for kingdom people. This actually goes all the way back to chapter 5 and verse 20. Jesus says there, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This would have been devastating to his Jewish audience. They knew the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. So righteous were they that they even tithed their spices. You ever tried tithing? Take, take your cumin off the, off the shelf one day, pour it out, and then figure out what's a tenth of this, right? That's what, that's what the scribes and Pharisees would do. And so Jesus, in summer, summarizing his sermon, says, So... Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law. It actually sets the stage for some warnings. He goes on, he says in verses 13 and 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And he warns about false prophets. Beware of false prophets in verse 15. Verse 21, he says, look, don't claim to know me if you're not willing to walk with me. Because there are going to be many on the last day that say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all this stuff, all these good deeds in your name? He's going to say, I don't even know who you are. He warns about building your house on sand. No, you've got to build it on the rock-solid foundation of God's truth. And so it's in the midst of this sermon that Jesus says, treat others the way you want to be treated. For, let me tell you why, this is the law and the prophets. All the Old Testament is summarized in this statement, this golden rule, as it has been called. If you take a, a glance at Luke's account over in Luke chapter 6, what you notice there is Jesus is preaching another sermon. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 are the Sermon on the Mount. Luke chapter 6 records what's called the Sermon on the Plain. It's a different occasion. There would have been no doubt different audience. A lot of, there's a lot of overlap. This is apparently a, uh, there are apparently concepts that Jesus just had in his back pocket ready to break out as the occasion dictated. 
And here in Luke chapter 6, the, the context for verse 31, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them, it backs up to verse 27. And it's in the context of love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. He goes on in verses 32 through 34 to explain, look, uh, if you love only those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do that, right? And then if you do good to those who only do good to you, what benefit is that? Sinners do the same thing. They, people get that. They understand that. And uh, he communicates this also in connection with lending to those. If you lend to those who expect, you expect to get return from that. What credit is that? What grace is that? Literally is what it says there. And so, uh, all of this leads to verse 36, be merciful even as your Father, that is your Heavenly Father, is merciful. And so the golden rule, as Jesus is explaining, it goes beyond mere reciprocity. Quid pro quo. What can I get from you? It goes beyond that and exhorts us to a new way of life. In essence, Jesus is showing us the heart of the law and the prophets. He's showing how we ought to relate to our fellow human beings, even on an individual, interpersonal level. Indeed, that's the context for the Sermon on the Mount. It's spoken to disciples, those who would aim to be or seek to be kingdom people. And so at the heart of this is love in action. I believe the Apostle Paul understood this connection as well. In the book of Romans, chapter 13, verses 9 and 10. Romans 13, verses 9 and 10, he says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not, co not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Jesus is saying, put love into action. Do unto others as you want them to do to you. This is how life is to be lived by those who seek to follow Jesus. It is a statement which is remarkably simple, yet it is deeply profound. It's complex, or excuse me, it's not complex, and yet it's weighty, right? It carries a substantial amount of weight. Jesus distills every moral law into a simple, powerful word, which is to be expected from our Creator. The golden rule covers all action. It also covers all inaction. It covers all speech. It covers all conduct, all thoughts, all attitudes. And as we begin to unpack what this means for us today, it really can be distilled down to a single question. Would I be happy if someone else did this to me? Let's get intensely practical, shall we? Do I want people to lie to me? No, I don't. Well, then I shouldn't lie to other people. Now, that's the negative, right? Don't do something that you don't want done to you. But how would we maybe turn this around positively because this is a positive command? Well, maybe, do I want people to tell me the truth? Of course I do. Well, then I should be a person who aims to speak the truth in love. Do I want people to try and take my spouse? Of course not. Well, then I should be a person of integrity and not commit adultery. Ah, the law. On the other hand, and maybe this is the positive aspect of it, right? Do I want people to encourage me in my marriage? Yeah, I do. Well, then I should be someone who seeks to encourage other people in their marriage. I should encourage people to image Christ and His church in their marriage relationship. 
do I want people to cheat me out of my money and my property? Well, no. And I shouldn't do that either. Do I want people to deal honestly with me? Well, yes, of course. Well, then I should deal honestly with them. And, and, and this, by the way, that trickles down into how you interact in business and, and finance. Even scales and all that from the Proverbs. Do I want people to treat me bad or harshly? No, then I should not treat people in a bad way. Do I want people to show me mercy? Of course. Well, then I should be a person who aims to show mercy to others. Do I want people to hold grudges against me? No. Well, then I shouldn't hold on to grudges. And in fact, do, do I want people to forgive me? Yes, then I should be a person of forgiveness and aim to be forgiving to others. I want people to be critical and judgmental of me? No. And I shouldn't be critical and judgmental of others either. Do I want people to show me kindness? Yes. And I should aim to be a person of kindness. Seek to be kind to others. Do I want people to pray for me? Of course. Well, then I need to be more diligent in praying for others and intercessory prayer and those things. Do I want people to hate me? No. No. Well, then I shouldn't harbor ill will toward others. Do I want people to love me? Of course. Well, then I should act in a way that is loving toward others. Do I want people to believe the best about me? Give me the benefit of the doubt. Yes. Well, then I should think the best of others and not assume improper motivations and attitudes in other people. By the way, we're going to get to Deuteronomy 19, which was read at the beginning of service in just a minute. But if you are a big fan of innocent until proven guilty, thank a Christian. Because that's where it comes from. Do I want to be considered innocent before proven guilty? Yeah. And that's that whole two or three witness business also. Innocent until proven guilty. That's where that comes from. Do I want people to to be patient with me? Yeah, I do. Then I need to be patient with others. Ooh. Do I want people to overlook my weaknesses? Yeah. Well, then I should do the same. But at the same time, do I want people to approach me if I'm falling short of the standard of God and and correct me? Man, not always fun, but yeah, because I, I, I want to be pleasing to God. Ooh, well then, then I should be a person who is willing to approach my brothers and sisters in love and in patience and, and aim to correct behavior based on God's Word. Do I want people to murder me? No. And I shouldn't murder people. Ah, the law. Well, uh, do, I want to help, do I want people to help me if I'm in a life-threatening situation? You better believe it. Well, then I guess I should be a person who seeks to champion life in various circumstances, yes? Again, the controlling question is, would I be happy if someone else did this to me? Do unto others as I want them to do, as you would have them do to you. Which brings us to that malicious witness back in Deuteronomy 19. Because I don't know if you caught this as we were reading through it. But you had, in verse 16, if a malicious witness arises and accuses a person of a wrongdoing, and that happens. Unfortunately, not everybody's a kingdom person. 
Not every, every, every person's a person of integrity. Some people are crooked as a dog's leg, right? As the old saying goes. And you do have malicious witnesses that arise. And what happens? Well, then the judges, verse 18, shall inquire diligently. And if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, notice. Then you shall do to him as he meant to do to his brother. Do unto him as he wanted to do to the other person. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And, and uh, verse 21, your eyes shall not pity. Well, wait a minute, but the golden rule, right? And this is why it's so important to rightly divide the word of truth, yes? And to make distinctions and to think categorically. Because again, the context for the golden rule is for the disciple at an individual level. The context for Deuteronomy 19, this is instructions for the state. Notice, it's the judges in verse 18 who are to inquire diligently. This is the law of God concerning the state. And by the way, this doesn't go away. I believe you see this very clearly. Come back with me to Romans. You were in chapter 13. Well, back up into chapter 12. Because you have this, uh, this teaching concerning non-retaliation at the end of chapter 12. And this is instruction for the individual Christian. And Paul writes there, he says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Con to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's the individual instruction. And even a bit of uh, an echo here of, do to others as you want them to do to you. Especially in the context of, love your enemies, yes? That Luke 6 passage. But then notice, Paul turns right around, and now he gives instruction concerning the state. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. In other words, the proper functioning of a governing authority is to reward the good guys and punish the bad guys. Kind of like if there's a malicious witness or a false witness that arises. Ah, Deuteronomy 19. Paul, by the way, an expert in the law and the prophets. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive approval. Again, proper functioning of government, governing authorities. For he is God's servant for your good. Notice, God's servant. That's the proper perspective of all governing authorities, however they may be found. Paul is writing, writing this, by the way, while living under empire. The Roman Empire was the controlling power of the day, but it's a principle which is applicable for the republic in which we live, yes? But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath 
on the wrongdoer. And it ought to be that the punishment fits the crime. That's what, that's at, at the end of Deuteronomy 19, verse 21, where you have that whole business of eye for eye, tooth for tooth, right? What's, what's properly called lex talionis, the law of retaliation. The punishment fits the crime. In other words, it's not, it's not life for eye. And it's not 40-year sentence for tooth. But rather, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, even life for life. That's the state's responsibility to the citizens. Not every person is a kingdom citizen or a person of integrity. And so at a societal level, the punishment fits the crime. And all are to be subject to those governing authorities. And those, uh, those governing authorities are established by God. Because again, there may be, there's, there, there may be a temptation where at the individual level, right? Well, I mean, if, if I were to commit a crime, I mean, I, I, would want, I would want people to let me off. And that's why you have that line in the law, show no pity. That's why everybody is equal before the law. Now, that's how to think properly and to rightly divide the word when it comes to the golden rule and as it pertains to those governing authorities and the instruction there in Deuteronomy 19. Coming back to the golden rule in the sermon, it's, it's crystal clear, stunningly simple, but it also serves to remind us and I, I don't do this like I should. You know, more often than I like to admit, I'm self-centered. I'm unloving. Left to myself, flesh gets in the way. By nature, I believe we are reactive rather than being proactive. And the golden rule is proactive. Do to others what you want them to do to you. We want others to be kind to us. Too often we're unkind. We want the benefit of the doubt. Too quick we're rushed to judgment, jump to conclusions. We want forgiveness, but too often we withhold it from others. We know that more often than we like to admit, well, we're kind of like that servant in, in a parable Jesus told. Over in Matthew chapter 18, where he comes before his master, the servant does, and he's got this astronomical debt that, that actually dwarfs our national debt, right? And, and the master forgives him. He forgives him the whole debt. And, and he goes out from the master's presence, and as he's going on his way, he comes across another fellow servant who owes him like a buck and a half. And he goes up to him and grabs hold of him and shakes him and starts beating him and says, pay me what you owe. That's where we are often, right? We can identify ourselves in that guy. Maybe we're kind of like the, the two fellows in the parable of the Good Samaritan who passed by on the other side of the road. We have not kept the golden rule perfectly. 
we have not done to others what we wish that they would do to us in many cases. So what do we do? And this is why I mentioned earlier chapter 5 and verse 20, where unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And every single Jewish disciple standing there would have been deflated. Seriously, Jesus? i got to compete with these guys over here? These guys who are tithing their spices? I can't do it. Exactly right. Which is why the sermon begins the way that it does. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are spiritual paupers, who acknowledge before God Almighty that they do not have the spiritual capital necessary to enter into His kingdom. Because once you realize that's where you are, you are in the proper place for the mercy and the grace of God to show up. And you mourn over that. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. That is the starting point. The starting point of realizing that we need the grace of God in our lives. We need the forgiveness that only God can give us for falling short of His high and holy standard. Grace is needed to be the kind of people that that God is calling us to be here. And in fact, that's part of this as well, is not only have we been saved by His grace, but it's by grace that we live. That we need the power of God that He supplies us in order to do what He calls us to do. Command what you will, and then give us what we need to do what you've commanded. Christ in us is what is needed. Christ even the hope of glory. The righteousness of Christ is what we need to be robed in. And what is especially fascinating is, as you, you do your own personal study of the golden rule, is what you find is there were other cultures, some even contemporary with Christ, who had their own form of it. Uh, William Barclay in his commentary has a, a, a number of examples of other cultures, other religions that have what he calls the silver rule. Silver rule is do not do to others what you don't want done to you. And that was the key difference between what Jesus says and what all, all the other religions were advocating. Whereas they all stated it negatively, Jesus states it positively. Do. Be proactive in this. Only Christianity puts the positive spin on this. And in fact, only Christianity goes further. All the other religions, while they have that silver rule, they they never provide you with what you need in order to actually accomplish it. Only Christianity goes further and has God leaving His holy heaven, taking on flesh and dwelling among us, living the sinless, perfect life that none of us could live, and all of it culminating in His death on the cross for our sins, for our shortcomings. You see, Christ is the one who fulfills the golden rule perfectly. Would you want someone who is willing to die in your place for your sins. Of course you do. Because the only other alternative is 
eternity away from God for your sins. And Christ comes and He does what we cannot do for ourselves. This is the gospel. The good news that God came, took on flesh, died according to His human nature, and was raised three days later by the power of God. And then also the gospel of having returned to the Father's right hand, the Father and the Son, send the Spirit into the world, even into our hearts, whereby we we cry out, Abba, Father. And we have the Holy Spirit now helping us to do what we can't do on our own. Namely, do unto others as we want them to do to us. Do we fall short of it? Yes. We still battle the flesh. We still battle the world. We still battle the devil. But again, that's where the grace of God and the forgiveness of Christ by His blood enters into the fray. And while we may come up short, and we do, we have an advocate who pleads not our own case, God forbid, pleads His own case to the Father. And so we, as kingdom people, have been called to this new ethic. And we live it out by grace and by the power that God provides. We've been born again to obey God, to love God, even as Christ obeyed God and loved God. And putting this golden rule, this principle to work in our lives every day, this is a lifetime of work. It is a lifetime of cooperating with the Holy Spirit living within us. But it is one of the primary ways whereby we express Christ-like character, the kind of character that even Christ had during his lifetime. Again, it's profound in its simplicity, so simple that even children can grasp it. One of the things that I tell my boys when we're walking to school, I've walked them to school during the school year every day, and one of the things I tell them is, do unto others as you want them to do to you. In fact, a lot of my parenting comes down to this. You guys are fighting over a video game remote control? Do unto others as you want them to do to you. You want someone taking your toy from you? No? Well, then don't take toys from one another. Do you want someone to treat you good and treat you kind? Well, treat your brother good and kind, for crying out loud. Your brothers love each other, right? And with this command, this golden rule, And with the Spirit helping us, let us strengthen ourselves so that we may walk humbly before our Lord in obedience to his holy words. Do unto others as you want them to do to you. Let us pray. The standard is so high, Father. It is such a high and holy calling. We thank you that you forgive us when we fall short of it. And we pray that you would empower us by your spirit within us to do unto others as we desire for them to do to us. All the honor, glory, and praise is due you through Christ our Lord. Amen.